What do you mean we have to start tracking the race of people we pull over? It was a fair question. My agency had just implemented a new policy for traffic stops. An officer now had to document the race of the occupants of any vehicle they pulled over for a traffic violation. Indiana doesn't put the race of the driver on a driver's license, so just running the license doesn't automatically include race into the record system. That meant that for every traffic stop, an officer had to open up their computer and take several extra steps to document something that the state of Indiana didn't think was necessary on a driver's license. What it meant was more work. Roll call was turning into the most interesting part of the day. The sergeant said, The mayor's office and some of the council members are concerned that our department is stopping a disproportionate number of black drivers, and they want us to start tracking it so they can find out. You mean they think we're racist? They didn't say that. The sergeant was clearly uncomfortable. That's what I'm hearing. Maybe if they came out and did a ride-along, they could see that we don't know what color someone is before we stop them. We can't see inside most of these cars before you walk up to the driver's door. Besides, how do I know what race someone is by looking? Do I need to ask every person I stop what their race is? Isn't that racist? The old cop in the back said what everyone was thinking. Fuck it. Just don't stop any cars. And that is a perfect example of demotivation. It's time to start telling our own stories. I'm Steve Kellums, and welcome to Blue Canary. Demotivation is simply a lack of interest and motivation at your work. It doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, everyone gets a little demotivated at work. You slack off a little, spend some extra time at the water cooler or on a smoke break, and once the weekend kicks in, you get a little rest and relaxation before you're better. That's not what's going on in policing. Demotivation is more than just a little frustration at the workplace. In policing, it's one of the things destroying our profession. Demotivation is a tool used by the anti-police movement to further their agenda and destroy policing as we know it in the United States. Today, morale and motivation in policing is clearly under attack, and that attack is spearheaded by six issues. ACAB, Hollywood, politics, work environment, job expectations, and the destruction of the tribe. Some of these things I've talked about before, but let's take a few minutes and look at each one and see how together they're so destructive. ACAB, all cops are bastards. ACAB is a political statement and sentiment that's been around for over a hundred years originating in the 1920s during workers' strikes. The protesters standing on one side of the line faced police who were there to keep the peace or, in some situations, break the strike. ACAB became the political statement used against the opposition, one which was seen as the oppressors, the bad guys, the police. Over the years, ACAB became common among criminals and ACAB prison tattoos became popular. Criminals would have ACAB tattooed across their knuckles, or in some instances the numbers 1312, which stood for the letters used to make up the slogan. In the 1970s, the term became popular in the burgeoning punk scene, with the acronym prominently displayed on jackets, shirts of the anti-authoritarian music fans, and the new skinhead movement. The Anti-Defamation League established it as a hate symbol, with long-standing ties to the skinhead and white supremacist movement. But they made sure in their description of the term to say that it was only a hate symbol in certain circumstances. The Anti-Defamation League doesn't bother to tell us what the exceptions are, but I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. With the George Floyd murder in 2020, 
ACAB came back with a vengeance. The idea is that every single cop is complicit in an unjust system. ACAB became the slogan for the anti-police protests. We've seen it on our signs at marches, on sneakers of professional sports players, and on the t-shirts of Hollywood movie stars. But ACAB doesn't stop there. In 2021, Massachusetts State Senator Sonia Chang-Diaz, who was running for governor, defended a staff member who wore an ACAB hat. In 2022... Christian Amato, Democratic candidate for New York State Senate, carried an ACAB sign in protest. Now, while most politicians try very hard to hide any evidence of these specific polarizing statements, their loyalties clearly lie with the anti-police movement. Statements from prominent members of the House of Representatives, such as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib, simply reinforce these anti-police ideas. Of course, when officers are routinely bombarded with the concept that all cops are bastards, it makes getting ready for work every day a challenge. Everyone seems to believe that you're an oppressor, a thug, a bad guy. You hear it from the news. You watch it every day. You hear it from your favorite sports teams. And you hear it from Hollywood. Speaking of Hollywood, they are our next issue. The 1960s were a turning point in the United States for many reasons. But on your TV, the biggest change was the death of the Western and the rise of the cop show. Today, the police procedural is the most common form of scripted show on TV. It's impossible to turn on the TV and not find a cop show. But finding a cop show that depicts police in a positive manner is all but impossible. It wasn't always like this. In the early days of police procedurals, the cop shows were positive and showed cops in a more realistic light. Shows like Adam-12, Dragnet, and even Chips, I'm talking about the TV show here, not that dumbass movie, portrayed police officers as good people with noble characteristics who looked out for the community and even the criminals they arrested. Hollywood portrays cops as misogynists, racists, addicts. They have anger issues, can't maintain positive relationships. They're controlled by greed. And my favorite, they break the law to enforce the law. Dirty Harry makes a great movie, but he's a terrible cop. The biggest change in Hollywood came with the 1987 Telecommunications Act. At the time it was enacted, 50 companies controlled the media in the United States. Today, all media in the U.S. is controlled by six companies, AT&T, CBS, Comcast, Disney, News Corp, and Viacom. And those companies hate you. (laughs) Of course, it would be unfair to stop with just Hollywood. They are a big target, but we must look at all of the media that trickles down through those six companies. Things like radio, newspapers, and of course, social media. The Social Dilemma is a 2020 documentary that lays out the issues surrounding social media. The film dives into the psychological underpinnings and the manipulation techniques by which it claims social media and technology companies addict users. People's online activities watched, tracked, and measured by those companies, who then use this data to build artificial intelligence models that predict the actions of their users. Tristan Harris, former Google design ethicist and co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology, explains in the documentary that there are three main goals of tech companies. Engagement growth, and advertisement, or money. Today, there is a fourth goal, agenda setting. And the agenda is anti-police. It's almost impossible to get any positive police coverage in any media today. And even if you try and run things through your own social media sites, the companies running those sites will throttle the exposure so that no one will see it. You can't get away from the anti-cop bashing. 
It's everywhere. Demotivation at work. Now, our third issue is politics. Remember, the dirtiest word in policing is politics. I did an entire episode about politics and policing, but unfortunately, it's one of the biggest issues involving demotivation. Cops can look past the criminal slogans and see them for what they are. Cops can turn off the media, and I know most do. Um, They can avoid those negative stories and portrayals of our honorable profession. But cops can't get away from the politics at their PD. Just do a Google search about officers suing their departments for wrongful termination. You might want to step back from the computer before you hit that enter button, though, because there are so many cases out there, your computer might blow up. Just because there's a lawsuit doesn't mean the officer didn't violate some policy and deserve to be fired. But you will find a common thread in most of these cases. Politics. The officer was fired because he questioned the administration's decision or policies. The officer was fired because he interacted with a VIP or politician. The officer was fired because the department wanted to offset any future complaints. The officer was fired for political reasons. It goes on and on and on. The story I started this episode with is a perfect example of how those politics at the department can demotivate officers to not work. What happens when traffic stops drop by 50% over the next month after a stupid new political policy is put into place? The officers get in trouble, of course. You just can't win. Politicians want to control the police, not provide police protection to the communities. While police officers swear an oath to serve the common good, politicians only care to serve themselves. They hate it when you say you didn't swear an oath to them. You swore an oath to the Constitution. Work Environment While there are a number of factors that can come into play regarding work environment, there's really only one I want to focus on right now. Staffing. Police departments are dangerously understaffed across the United States. Actually, let me rephrase that. Police departments are criminally understaffed across the United States. In the early 1900s, major U.S. cities suffered disastrous fires that destroyed billions of dollars worth of property. In the aftermath, insurance companies realized they needed advanced information on the fire loss characteristics of individual communities. The National Board of Fire Underwriters, or NBFU, had been established in 1866 to promote fire prevention and public fire protection. After several fires, including the Great Baltimore Fire of 1904, which claimed 140 acres, more than 70 blocks, and 1,526 buildings, the NBFU expanded its scope, developing the Municipal Inspection and Grading System. Under that program, engineers evaluated the fire potential of many cities. In response, those cities improved their public fire protection services. Since the 1900s, fire protections and fire departments have been regulated by the private insurance companies. If you want your city insured, you must meet certain standards within your fire department. What does that mean? It means that if you want to start your own city, let's call it my town, there is a book that will tell you exactly how many fire stations you need, how many pumper trucks you need, how many firemen you need on duty at a time to run those trucks. No such thing exists for cops. Over the years, as populations have increased and calls for police service have risen, police departments have not maintained pace. You see, hiring cops costs money, and politicians don't want to spend money on police. They would rather spend money on the city parks or golf courses. They want special programs that put dollars into the pockets of their voters. Police service is generally very low on their want scale. So, while police budgets have increased over the years, they've not increased anywhere near the amount necessary to continue providing protection they once did. That means more work for fewer cops. 
Shift shortages, low manpower, less cops, more calls, mandatory overtime. That all adds up. Today, policing is reactive. That means that officers respond to calls for service, and in many, if not most jurisdictions, cops will simply run from one problem to the next, never having the time to truly invest in solving the issues. Just apply a Band-Aid and move on to the next one. This means that cops rarely get the satisfaction of seeing a job completed. They don't get fulfillment from their work and often feel like they are building sandcastles in the surf. On top of all of those issues is the toxic environment they work in. No, not toxic like chemicals, but emotionally and mentally toxic. Officers are exposed every single day to the worst that humanity has to offer. No breaks, no help, no end in sight. It's a hard job to love, and it's harder when you're all alone. Job expectations, or what I like to call moving the goalposts. In most professions, employees come to work and do their jobs. Changes to those jobs occur slowly and incrementally. New developments or technologies take hold and change plays out over years. In policing, what was legal yesterday is illegal today. Why? Because a politician decided last night it was important to them. Okay, did I oversimplify that? Probably. But it sure feels like that's the way it happens. The entire process should work well. The citizens elect a legislator that represents them. That legislature then creates laws for the society to function. The police enforce those laws, and the judiciary determines guilt and imposes penalties. Except that today, elected officials rarely represent the will of the people. Instead, they bow to the will of special interest groups. Instead of creating laws, they have bureaucrats create government policy. They order the politicians in charge of the police to make sure their special issues are enforced and the police are ordered to follow, or in many cases, not follow the laws on the books. What is acceptable or not acceptable? What is legal or not legal? What we should do and how we should do it will actually change from day to day. And we're not just talking about little things like jaywalking or loitering. We're talking about big stuff like use of force, de-escalation, and documentation. Demotivation occurs when the officers get so frustrated with the constantly changing expectations that they learn to not work. As my friend Jim Glennon said on this very podcast, Remember, son, as long as you're sitting on your ass, they can't shove anything up it. Lastly, we have destroyed the tribe. Human beings are social creatures. We love being a part of something, and particularly, we love being a part of something special. Behaviors, norms, and traditions are what separate one group from another, and that separation isn't a bad thing. Police wear uniforms so that the public can easily identify them. They are a projection of authority so that everyone will know who the police are and recognize them as people who will help. But the uniform goes one step further. It helps define who we are as a profession and begins the development of our tribe. There was a time when an officer's appearance was important, when the uniform was important. Today, many agencies have opted for a softer look, one of shorts and polo shirts or even t-shirts. The uniform is no longer special, and neither is the tribe. The uniform is just one example. Events like award ceremonies, swearing-in ceremonies, and pinning ceremonies help build that tradition and instill the ethics, morals, and codes of what it means to be an officer. Most agencies today don't bother with the traditions. Today, we're told policing isn't a profession or career. It's just a job. That there is nothing special about being a police officer. That we're all just John Q. citizen in a police uniform. And shame on you if you try describing policing as a calling. We have allowed the anti-police movement to demotivate us 
all the way down to the language we use. We're not allowed to say brave, courageous, or bold. We're not allowed to be honorable. We're not special. We do nothing important. Why bother? The Legal Liability Risk Management Institute is the nation's largest provider of liability and risk management services in the United States. Our goal is to help reduce liability, reduce lawsuits, and enhance officer performance. Regardless of the size of your agency, we have a risk management solution. You may contact us at www.llrmi.com or call 317-386-8325. Demotivation. It's the silent war against cops. The one we overlook. But it's just as devastating to our profession as the violences against our brothers and sisters. This is also a war that is difficult to fight. Not impossible, just difficult. So how do we fight back? Knowledge is power. Recognizing what's going on and that is intentional is our first step. Understanding the purpose of the ACAB protests, the goals of Hollywood and the media, the politicians, the work environment, and the importance of our tribe, that's our body armor for the battle. Know it for what it is and don't let it rattle you. When you become depressed, frustrated, and angry, know that is intentional and set that aside. Don't give them the satisfaction. Don't let them win that easily. Don't hide from the protesters. Face them in the public square, but not physically or violently. Face them as professionals. They have a right to protest. Defend that right. Protect them during the protest. Stay professional as they scream vile and racist things at you. Nothing angers or frustrates them more than to see you stay calm and professional. The image of a white protester wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt and screaming racist epithets towards a black officer who's staying calm and professional is a powerful image and one that shows our side is winning. The video that shows officers protecting marchers in an ACAB march is poignant in its ability to reveal the hypocrisy of the protesters. They look like children while we're the adults in the room. You can take pride in that. Don't support people who hate you. I, I typically don't let an actor's opinions or behavior determine whether or not I like a movie or TV show. But when an actor, media influencer, musician, or athlete espouse their hate for me and what I stand for, then I don't support them anymore. It's that simple. At one time, I was a huge NFL fan. A Sunday didn't go by without me watching all the games and tracking my fantasy football teams. When it became clear that the athletes, owners, and organization no longer supported what I stood for and went out of their way to hate me, well, I tuned them out. I haven't watched a football game in years. And you know what? I don't miss it. Become politically active. Join organizations that support our profession. Make it clear that we are vested into our role as police and we intend to provide the most professional ethical service possible. If the politicians don't support that, then call them out. Call them out through your unions and other professional organizations. Make sure that when election time comes around, the public knows who the activist judges and prosecutors are. Make sure they know the ones who are pushing decarceration programs and making our cities and communities unsafe. If your mayor or sheriff is not providing adequate staffing for your department, call them out. Use the unions, bargaining units, and other avenues to make sure the public is aware of what is going on behind those closed doors. They've been getting away with it for decades because we've let them. We must make our voices heard. Finally, build back the tribe. Make sure that your agency has a mission and goal, one that is clearly stated and shared with every employee. Prominently display the code of ethics and train on it often. Not just online checkbox training, but real conversations about the real issues. 
Take pride in the uniform, equipment, and vehicles. Make sure the flags are displayed properly and encourage your officers to get involved in the community. If you have traditions, keep them going. If you don't have traditions, start building them. Swearing in or pinning ceremonies for every new officer. Yearly awards banquets that feature dress uniforms and a stage so that everyone being recognized has a moment of pride and honor among their peers. Yearly memorial services for officers lost in the line of duty. Promotion ceremonies for officers taking the next step at the agency. And retirement ceremonies for officers who are leaving the department after a complete career. These traditions build a sense of community and provide the employees with a sense of purpose, responsibility, and pride. Building the tribe will give us the support we need to fight against the silent war of demotivation. And that's the story we have to tell. Thank you for joining. As always, I'm curious what questions you're getting asked. What isn't the news covering? What story needs to be told? Connect with me at bluecanarypodcast at gmail.com. 